This isn't a new chemistry, it's an old chemistry, but we're reconfiguring how we put the matter and the nothing and the electrolyte all back together. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we're talking about a new alkaline battery technology and why they haven't been rechargeable until now. If you're an 80s kid like me, you grew up surrounded by a lot of commercials like this. Duracell. (laughs) This Duracell commercial from earlier featured a bunch of toy bunnies. Guess they figured the concept was only good for one ad. The Energizer Bunny, however, has appeared in over 115 commercials in the past 30 years. But before the Energizer Bunny, there were these strange commercials starring some Australian guy in a tank top. Remember these? In one of these! <laughs> Turns out that's Australian football star Mark Jacko Jackson. Not sure why he was in battery commercials back then, but maybe it was something about Americans' fascination with Australians like Crocodile Dundee, Mad Max, and Kylie Minogue. If you're like me, chances are you had a remote-controlled car, and for reasons never made clear by mom and dad, you couldn't put normal batteries in the battery charger. Turns out there's a reason for this. Yes, it turns out you can recharge an alkaline battery, but you're running a huge risk of rupturing it. First, it can cause the formation of hydrogen gas, which can build pressure. The second is that alkaline batteries, which are composed of zinc, will form spikes called dendrites when they are recharged. These spikes will continue to grow until they stab through the membrane, touch the cathode, and ultimately short out the cell. In a single-use cell, we don't worry about dendrites because the battery is only being used once. After the zinc in the battery is chemically converted to zinc oxide. (laughs) Not to digress too much again, but that zinc oxide bit reminded me of a scene in Kentucky Fried Movie. Whether we know it or not, one of the most widely used and oldest chemical compounds is zinc oxide. If it weren't for zinc oxide, you wouldn't have that bar of soap. Yeah, soap disappears. Your toaster. Toaster disappears. Your kitchen sink. Now water spraying everywhere. The heat control on your stove. The oven shooting fire. The emergency brake on your car. The cars now crash through the kitchen. Yes, zinc oxide at work in our daily lives. In the many ways that zinc oxide plays a role in that sketch, zinc alkaline batteries play a role in ours. And our guest says if they can successfully scale up the solution they've developed, we could see them play a much bigger one. As you know, lithium-ion batteries have taken the spotlight for small electronics, cars, and even industrial-scale energy storage. My guest says their drawback is the package required to ensure that accidents like thermal runaway don't occur, and that makes up a large part of the weight and the cost of the lithium ion batteries. If you could use rechargeable zinc alkaline instead, the energy density might not be as high, but you subtract the safety package you'd need for lithium batteries and the results are about the same. Plus, there's the added benefit that zinc is more prevalent in more parts of the world than lithium, which satisfies our guest's security mission. So how did they solve the dendrite problem in these zinc alkaline batteries? They simply gave zinc some 
room. The result is what they call a zinc sponge, adding zinc to a thick mixture and then baking it in a mold. When you recharge this cell, yes, some growth will occur, but because the zinc is spaced out, they don't get runaway spike growth. And as I've said before, batteries are just getting started. On widespread electrification of our vehicle fleets and utility scale energy storage, we need a lot of solutions to get us there and using one of the oldest and most proven battery technologies would be an ideal fit. Bye. Our guest is Dr. Deborah Rollison, physical chemist at the Naval Research Laboratory. This was my fourth and final guest during my visit to the facility. Dr. Rollison is the principal investigator on the zinc sponge technology I was telling you about. Research for this technology at NRL was first published in 2017, along with an industrial research partner company called NZINC. As she shares in our interview, they are already thinking about a second generation battery that could really give the competition something to think about. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Deborah Rollison. We're with Dr. Deborah Rollison, senior scientist for the Naval Research Laboratory. Deborah, I remember as a kid, I was told I couldn't put standard Duracell batteries in my remote control car. I had to use these expensive rechargeable ones instead. Why couldn't alkaline batteries recharge? It's not that they couldn't, it's just that you couldn't recharge them to the full state of energy they had when you bought it out of the package, and you couldn't do it many times. Mm -hmm. There's problems with both the positive electrode, what we consider the cathode where the manganese oxide is. It creates a chemical state that's not very stable. And the zinc will change its shape. It goes through phase changes. So to get back to zinc metal, you can risk creating long spikes that can actually be seen by eye. They get so long. In water, you always worry about gas evolution like hydrogen and oxygen. In the lithium ion batteries, it's much more, should we say, dramatic. We've seen videos, yes. Yes, we've all <laughs> seen the videos. You can have these heat excursions. You can get smoke. And in the worst case, you can get an explosion. Yeah. Was the original mission, how do we make zinc batteries rechargeable once and for all? Or was it to deal with these spikes? The Dendrites, as I think they're called. We actually, the original concept was something very sponge-like. You had solid walls. They were completely meeting pores, open space, void, if you want to think of it that way, nothing. And because of that aperiodic arrangement, just as your sponge doesn't have a periodic geometric arrangement, we recognized that that was a very good design to get uniform reactivity out of an electrode. And so we weren't starting with sync, but we were starting with the form factor. In the electrochemical world, you have to do a lot of things well. Some people like to disrespect battery scientists because we don't follow Moore's law. But in computation, you only worry about the mobility, how fast an electron moves or the hole. In electrochemistry, we've got a lot of mobility. So we have to worry about how ions move. And ions have mass, so they don't move as fast as electrons. There's typically a liquid or a solvent involved, something that's keeping those ion charges screened. And then you have to worry about the actual electrochemical reaction that has kinetics, something happening per second, just as mobility is distance per second. So you have all of these, if I call them rate critical functions, and we have to solve anywhere from three to five in a battery to really get them working together. We do follow a Morse law. It's just one over two to the N where N's the number per <laughs> second things. So we're lucky to get a battery performance to improve sort of that eight-ish to 10% per year. You have a lot more to be concerned about than clock speed. I like to say we have to be <laughs> a lot better at what we do. <laughs> you developed this zinc sponge solution and allows these batteries 
batteries to be rechargeable, very simply. What was the breakthrough or aha moment that helped your team arrive with that? It was actually an old recognition back in the late 90s. A program manager came to me and said, you're doing such interesting things with these spongy, mostly nothing structures. We're interested in grading function across the batteries. I like to call it the masonry approach. You could think of the sponge being one electrode, and then there's still interconnected void, nothing. And that gets filled with the second electrode. So the whole volume is now integrated in three dimensions, continuously mapping anode, separator, cathode. And I recognized in the late 90s that that would have a beautiful current reaction flow between the two electrodes, and that's what you need to thwart dendrites. I've watched the video, and you are making a very thick, viscous solution. And the zinc and what else? It's an emulsion. We like to say not unlike salad dressing. You first have oil and water, like yeah. salad dressing. And sometimes you'll be adding herbs and other things, and you know you have to have the right emulsion nature between that oil and water to keep things suspended, otherwise they settle out. And typically in a proper emulsion, you add an emulsifier. We use carboxymethyl cellulose. That makes it much more viscous. That helps keep everything from separating. Right, and it's also not flocking to the bottom. That's right. Yeah, in that's, one big pile of sludge. Is it uniform under a microscope? Help me out. There is, if you will, some uniformity to it because... It's not like a crystal, right? No, it has, if you will, some global uniformity. You don't have over here in the corner zinc particles and over there oil and water. And that's part of the importance of it because you don't want to have regions where the particles all pile up and you don't get control over the porosity once you burn out the organic. And also all the zinc, if it were over on this side, like an eighth grade yeah, middle school yeah. day, that's where we get our dendrite issue, that, right? Yeah, that's part of the issue because of all those shape changes that go when you're actually pulling the electrons out of the sink to run your device. And because of the complex chemistry in that alkaline basic medium, you can precipitate out zinc oxide. That is the final discharge product for a true zinc battery metal discharging an alkaline. Change the electrolyte, that changes. But zinc oxide is sort of that end product. Mm -hmm. And that is what has to get converted back to metal to make it rechargeable. Gotcha. And it has to go through a species that is actually dissolved in the electrolyte to get to the zinc oxide and then to get back to the zinc metal. And so zinc oxide is not very conductive. And that shuts off, if you will, the conductance to that surface. So other surfaces that don't have as much zinc oxide now take over the show. They're getting all the current. That's where the electric field is the highest. That's where you're going to ultimately generate more of that zincate that gets reduced back to the zinc metal. That's when you get this uncontrolled growth of the metal. So do any dendrites form? You may have seen some of the pictures where we get a retexturing of zinc. The zinc metal, when it's in its metallic electro-reduced form, looks very plate-like. But once these dendrites can start, you texture the surface. Now you've got a carpet of all these little tiny baby spikes. They never get more than a micron or so in size, whereas the things you can see by eye are tens. That's out of control. And hundreds of microns long. The important thing about having a more uniformly reactive sponge electrode is that mm -hmm. all the surfaces play inside and out. No one spot can start to launch those large spiky things. Do we consider this nanotechnology? It is small technology. I mean, okay. a, chem a chemist feels they've always been doing things that look like nanotechnology. Mm -hmm. Inside the sponge, because of that 3D connected plumbed void, the nothing, pieces of it do look like nanoliters of something, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't call it nanotechnology. Dendrites also form with lithium ion batteries. I've talked to a few people who work in this space. Mm -hmm. How does your zinc sponge technology fit with the lithium family? On a single cell level that's been made by a, we say, a high quality battery manufacturer, you're going to have a well-behaved lithium ion cell, even if there's a flammable electrolyte.
light in there. You know, as long as you're not driving nails into it, all those, sure. all those fun things. When you get the knockoffs, they're saving money because they aren't taking such great care in how they manufacture the lithium battery. That's when people with their electronic cigarettes burn their genes off. The extreme control to keep a lot of lithium ion cells working to like power an electric car or anything that's large, like a grid storage, mm -hmm. you really have to have some high quality manufacturing. You can't have little metal show up. That's often where these batteries in phones catch on fire. The greater problem with the lithium is just give it an excuse to go bad and it can. The heart that does the electric chemistry might only be a third of the weight and volume of the fuel cell system. And part of, shall we say, the lack of truth in advertising is they like to quote the energy density of the single lithium ion cell. And when you've got a lot of them in a pack, then you've got all that catastrophe management. And that should really be debiting the energy density. Yeah. And very often they don't do that. Well, that's a good point. Now, we have zinc sponge. Is there any opportunity to do lithium sponge or do we not? You've got to be getting questioned that because lithium's yeah. the cool kid on the block, right? Well, yes and no. <laughs> it only gives you one electron. And volumetrically, yeah. you've got much more energy density with zinc than you do with lithium. Okay. And even though you're sponging it out, you're spongifying it, it's that's, still that's more energy the, dense? Or? That's one of the interesting things. People often will make a zinc battery with very thin foil, but often it's with powdered zinc. You consider our sponge to have been that powder fused together, where the zinc is now wired to itself, the void is continuous in three dimensions. So even though it might look like so much of it's nothing, you're not using much less zinc than you would in a conventional powder composite zinc electrode. Because a lot of empty space, right? Well, you have to be able to move in the alkaline system ions around. So even most solid state batteries aren't fully, fully, fully dense. How big of batteries have you made so far? That's what our next step has yeah. to be. We're working yeah. with one square centimeter. The nice thing about the emulsion with the zinc powder is you can easily scale that. We try to do things that, that are very so. bench top like. Yeah. At that point it is, what's the size of your mold? Right. We've poured things that are five square centimeters. We're trying to pitch a program now where we could create a 2.5 amp hour pouch cell, which could then get handed off to people in the Navy who are worried about battery safety in general. They're the validation people. And that's the size they would need to start putting it through its paces. Because we have decades of understanding about the safety of zinc alkaline cells. It's so environmentally benign, we don't even have to take it to a special recycling center. But we have to ask those questions again for a system where you're recharging it yeah. many times. Okay, so it seems to me like the one thing we're waiting for is to put in a bigger mold. That is part of it. We have to show we can scale it because it has to be manufacturable at the end of the day for this really to be of use to the Navy or the consumer. We have to show that we can then package it properly. Is that brittle? The little disc that you baked. Well, when you start to get thicker, it starts to get less flexible, ductile, soft. But that has advantages because we're about to submit a paper looking at the structural integrity of the sponge, its strength under compression, for instance. We think we should be able to move it to a structural battery, which there are designs where part of the car or the little drone or something would actually be a battery, but still is providing structural function for the vehicle. And you really would have a hard time thinking about that for lithium. Well, that's really good. And we talk a lot about this concept with batteries of these cycles. And one of the things they always talk about with lithium batteries, have you, and that's super expensive, just test cycles. It's a time it's, it's a, killer. It's a time thing. For the work that went into the paper we published in Science in 2017, we had to thin our zinc sponges down to about 500 microns to meet the milestone timeline. Because if we'd had something that was even a millimeter thick, you just would have not had enough time to actually do the demonstrations. In so, cyclet, we mean if it were thicker, it would take longer to draw it down. Right. Right? You, you look at what's called a depth of discharge and 
typically in the battery, it's they see how much capacity they get out of it. We actually do it to the theoretical depth of discharge to the zinc. When we oxidize 40% of the zinc on a cycle, that starts to put us into single cell lithium ion territory. Now, if you want to compete with a lead acid battery, you don't have to go that deep in terms of how much of the zinc gets used and then regenerated on every cycle. And that's the important part. You have to have a high fraction of recapturing what you've oxidized when you're discharging the battery on the anode side. Otherwise, you just keep slowly losing capacity. Right. So it was kind of like the Energizer Bunny. It just kept going and going. <laughs> and that took a long time, right? And typically, the battery manufacturers will limit how deep you are not getting that capacity. They don't try to let it run all the way down to zero, except for these use once, drain it completely, and you're done. The rechargeable ones, you typically aren't taking it from 100% to a few percent, because that does do a lot of strain in a mechanical sense in the battery. So to save time, you made a super thin battery, and then you drained it down and cycled it out. And how many times did you? So for our, what we called our one-year death march funded by RPE, which we went in with a company called NZINC, because NZINC ultimately wants to get a nickel-zinc aqueous battery into vehicles. And we were focused on, we've got to show something that starts to be lithium-ion competitive, which meant 40% of the zinc oxidized on every cycle and got recharged, and we had to show 100 cycles. Now, ideally, you'd like that number to be 500 sure. thousand. That's what we're working on now. We have to get out of those very simple cells that we used. We've got a mechanical engineer postdoc from MIT who's designing cells that aren't out of the plastic where you have to worry about things slowly diffusing out over time, particularly when you're running for weeks and months, which... You've done 100 for, cycles. At okay. the lithium-ion level. We also looked at different fractions of all the zinc being used, and that allows you to get to even more cycles. That's even true in the lithium-ion world. And if you want something that's giving you 500,000 cycles, you're typically not drawing it down to almost full capacity discharge every cycle. Okay, and so do you think these zinc, when they're ready for commercialization, do you think that they can hang in those ranges? That's where N-Zinc, they understand lithium-ion packs in a car are a system. And that weight and volume, if we could get that same energy density, you have to think about more cells with the zinc because you don't have as high a voltage. Both mm -hmm. things matter, the capacity and the cell voltage. We've got comparable capacity with the zinc, but a lower voltage. So they usually work more cells. And where you save in terms of the final system's energy density and its weight is you don't have to have as much catastrophe management. More room for the battery. More that's, room for yeah, battery. there's more battery room. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't have to have as stringent a quality control on manufacturing as you do with the lithium systems. So you can make them cheaper. Yeah. Lithium and zinc, has anyone done any kind of cost analysis on? Well, that's what NZINC has tried to do, but I don't think they've actually released those figures because okay. that's, of course, what you care about. If because look, I've been talking about this for a while and some people will try to dispute me on this, but you Google market price for lithium and it's gone up oh. considerably. And we haven't even begun <laughs> to fully electrify electric vehicles. And that's part of the concern. Scarcity can matter. And we haven't really addressed how do you recycle. And look, people that are like, you're being silly about the prices of lithium. Lithium's a very small amount of the overall cost of those batteries. But I still feel like it's going to reach a breaking point. And I like that there's another element on the periodic table, zinc, <laughs> that we can take up as the whole world makes this mad dash to batteries for just about everything. Well, for sustainability, you've got to have some way to store energy. Sure. They don't always have to be batteries, but that's kind of a standard that people look at. But batteries, when done right, sit there and do their job. They don't need a lot of extra moving parts. Is zinc it, easier to come by than? It's, it's more abundant in the Earth's crust than lithium by a factor mm. of about four. But what's important globally is it's available globally. It's mined globally, whereas lithium shows up in only a few spots. 
Right. And so from U.S. military standpoint, lithium's a strategic metal, zinc is not. That's one of the reasons why this work's being done here. Once we recognize the power of thinking about what I call 3D architectures, which are mostly nothing, it's geared towards what can we do to help the U.S. Marine Corps. And the Marines have used zinc air batteries for a long time. They often use them to charge lithium-ion batteries. <laughs> and so you've got decades of safety validation with boots on the ground, the Marines. Sure. I want to see a battery-powered tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the things we're doing now with our sort of Gen 2 version of the sponge, we mix a big particle, small particle, so it fills the volume more fully. We've got patent applications in And that we can get thin, and that's how we can get real power out of it. We've paired these thin-down Gen 2 zinc sponges versus silver. We've solved that one. Mm -hmm. When we take our denser, thin-down zinc and put it through a completely unoptimized silver sponge, we can get unprecedented rechargeability, and we can get continuous power that starts to tickle the bottom of electrochemical capacitors. Lithium ion doesn't do that. <laughs> Let's talk about N-Zinc, not N-Sync, yeah. N-Zinc <laughs> out of California. They were the program lead, we were the technical lead, and we published together. They'd already worked out the system to show that you really can start to challenge lithium ion. You can pack it in, pack it in the hood of a car. They've got some real valid market assessments of this can swap in, this can save weight and volume, and you save weight in a car and volume in a car. They are licensing our sponge patent for nickel zinc. They are trying to develop our sponge technology in a nickel zinc system for electrified vehicles. Okay, why wouldn't a Duracell or an Energizer be interested in this? One hopes they will be. Yeah, <laughs> selling their own technology pretty much back to them. Well, almost, right? I mean, the ideal would people who really do know how to manufacture zinc alkaline batteries are the, the ones who should... They're the guys, right? They're, they're yeah. the ones who should be in the game. Deborah, we're going to finish with a lightning sure. round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. going to start with natural gas. Cleaner than coal, but from a national security perspective, it's absolutely vital that we don't have to rely on other countries for our electrons. Crude oil. I think it's wasteful to burn it. Yeah, you want that carbon not be combusted, but to be used to make things. Good point. Nuclear. If you've ever read a book called Normal Accidents by Charles Perrow, <laughs> he feels civilians should not be put in charge of the nuclear industry. Well, so. I've done a few things that are nuclear facing, and those guys are the most OCD safety That's exactly minded people I've ever seen. That's exactly what you want. It needs to be part of the mix. My dismay is that so little actual fuel gets used out of a rod. I'd love to see ways to get more of the energy out of a fuel rod. I totally agree with that. Coal. Leave it in the ground. <laughs> what about carbon capture and storage on the existing fleet? It's what always bites us. You have to spend energy to clean the environment. Wind. I love wind. I love solar. We just need the energy storage to take in what they give us. I mean, if you can get solar to work in Germany, which doesn't quite have our sunny days. Or New Jersey, right? <laughs> New Jersey does a lot of solar. And then solar was the other one. Biofuels? To create a biofuel by planting crops to generate it is insane. Long way around. Yeah. yeah. I'd like biofuels, but particularly if we can do it from bio waste. Hydroelectric. I kind of couple hydroelectric and geothermal, which is like best of all possible worlds, but only very limited places have access to those. Energy storage. It is the ball game. In my view, we have to be able to get away from the national grid concept. We have to have distributed energy, particularly as the climate's changing. Sure. And whenever I get to what I think your technology is in this family, <laughs> you guys are most definitely energy storage. So zinc sponge batteries, in 20 years, where do you see that playing a role?
overall? I think it could swap out for the very expensive advanced lead-acid batteries in micro-hybrid start-stop. When we ran those at the capacity requirement that's already being used in those batteries, they went for 54,000 cycles. I think there are ways you could get that into a market a lot earlier. Electric vehicles. Yeah, we really should have been 30 years more forward on that than we have been. Energy efficiency. It's hugely important. Things aren't as wasteful with the electrons you're flowing into them, then we don't need as much energy. That needs to be a big player. And then nuclear fusion. I hope we can get it to work. <laughs> and I'm sure they do too. All right. Deborah Rawson, Naval Research Laboratory, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time and your interest. You bet. That was Dr. Deborah Rollison, senior scientist and principal investigator for the zinc sponge battery technology at the Naval Research Laboratory in Washington, D.C. Cool story, when you visit the lab, they make you sign in at a building at the front gate. I got to talking to a guy who was waiting in line, and it turned out he had been a sparring partner for former UFC champion Ronda Rousey back when she was training for the Olympics in 2008. She was the first woman to ever medal in judo for this country. I want to thank Deborah for her time as well well as Daniel Perry at the Naval Research Lab for setting up these four interviews, which you can now check out. This was an incredible experience and a true privilege to get to meet and talk a little energy science with some of the most brilliant minds in the country. You can find plenty of pictures online at energy-cast.com and on Instagram at Host Energy. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 56. Be sure to join us next week when we meet a developer in Texas who's reviving an old energy storage technology with the potential to have a huge impact on renewables. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time.